I am in the middle of deciding what is next and how can I more effectively serve the amount of people that need serving while also maintaining my boundaries, my sanity, and staying firmly in my zone of genius. Product development isn't always about building something new. Often, it's about taking what you've already built and making it stronger. You refine the packaging, the value proposition, the customer experience, the delivery mechanisms, and the price. Little by little, you create value simply through the process of excavating the most useful or transformative pieces of your offer and making sure they're as polished and refined as they can be. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how small business owners take decisive action to build stronger businesses. Refining the product or service you already offer can be as good or even better for giving your business a shot of energy as offering something new. When you refine or repackage your offer, new people might notice it who passed it by before. New methods of delivery might give you back some serious time. A new price point might unlock a new level of profitability for your business. A new message or angle on what you really offer could open your eyes to a whole new way to market what you do. In other words, refining your offer could lead to a new, bold vision for your whole business. This is exactly what I talked about with today's guest, Michelle Marquart DeVoe, founder of Faith Culture Kiss Voice Studio and the Speak Easy Cooperative. Michelle is a voice teacher, as well as a champion for voice teachers who want to empower students, performers, podcasters, and voice talent of all kinds to use their voices in powerful ways. Michelle started out teaching voice with the same kind of offer you'd expect any voice, piano, or instrument teacher to use. Students paid her for each lesson, and they called it a day. But as she started to hate how transactional that method was and how guilty it made her feel for doing work outside of her lessons, she started to refine her offer and ended up creating a whole new model for teaching voice. We get into all of that and more, including how she doubled her rates and delivered three times the value, how she structures her packages, and how she got started teaching voice online. Plus, we talk about how she took what she learned refining her original voice teaching offer and created a new offer to help other voice teachers too. Now, let's find out what works for Michelle Marquart DeVoe. Michelle Marquardt DeVoe, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I feel very honored. You are a very fancy person. Well, you are a very fancy person too. And I am also honored to have you on the show. I love it. Um, but- but before you became a fancy person, uh, let's just start at the beginning, which is a place we don't normally start on this show. I'd kind of like to jump right into the action. Um, but I think one of the, the things that we're going to really look at in this conversation is sort of how your offers have developed over time. And so I think starting at the beginning is probably pretty important here. So how did you get started in voice teaching in the first place? Sure. So I did something that makes a lot of other voice teachers very very angry. And I started teaching my friends when I was in high school, like I knew what I was doing. And uh, I just happened to have a great teacher who was a mentor to me and was very, do your thing. You'll figure it out. Tried to help me as much as she could. And so my friends who could not afford voice teaching, and they would be getting ready for like, ensemble festival, or, you know, like, solo festival, I would coach them and I would help them. And uh, 
that let that because of course I was going to be a teacher. I knew I wanted to be a voice teacher the moment I met my first voice teacher, which in 1995, I just said how old I was, which in 1995 was like super weird because you didn't go to you didn't go to school for voice in order to become a voice teacher. There was no such thing as a vocal pedagogy degree the way that there is now. So if you wanted to do education, you did like a music ed degree. Uh-huh. And if you wanted to perform or whatever, you did a vocal performance degree. And I was a very foolish young thing. And I decided to try to double major in musical theater and vocal performance, which again, in 1995, was anathema because uh, there are very, there were very two different camps about what was appropriate in a way to use your voice. So um, doing both of those camps at the same time, in my experience, was bad enough that I wound up leaving the school. And uh, yeah, oh, that's a whole other story. But the whole time, I'm like coaching my friends, I'm teaching my friends, I move back to California and finish my degree elsewhere where I am t- start teaching a voice class because I knew what I was, quote unquote, knew what I was doing. Yeah. Um, And it kind of just happened because it was a thing that I could do. It was something I was really, really, really interested in. And But I always did it on the side because in my world and in my story, you can't be a good voice teacher until you've had a performance career, Mm. right? So in 95, that's the story. You teach after you perform. And so I was kind of backwards. I went into the performance degree so that I could hurry up and perform and get to the teaching already. Right. I love that. (laughs) Now, now, I mean, the universe works in mysterious ways or whatever you want to say. And the whole time I was teaching anyway. So, you know, a lot of interesting things. I was a creative arts pastor for a while. I was doing voice classes. I went to seminary and taught a voice class. I was in choirs. I was performing, but all the time kind of low-key teaching under the radar because there's no way I could be a good voice teacher because I haven't had a performance career, all of that. And finally in 2008, uh, oh no, no, 2000. Well, 2003, I decided to make it official and like announce to my friends, I'm going to take money for this, like on purpose, instead of you just paying me under the table. And then in 2008 is when I decided to like, get a DBA and LLC and business, like business, separate business, business account from my personal account, you know, all those little baby steps that communicate, oh, this isn't a hobby. Yes. So let's talk about that specifically. I'd love to hear sort of what was it that you were selling? What kind of form Mm -hmm. did that take when you decided to make it official, say, yes, I'm accepting money for this. I would like to be your voice teacher. So it was totally old school. It was like everything that every voice teacher tells you you have to do. It was one to one lessons in my home or at a third party location for an hourly rate. And it was a pay per service, right? You came to a voice, very transactional. And Mm -hmm. I hated it. I hated it because it made me feel guilty. Every time I went above and beyond for my clients, it made me feel gross. Every time, 
you know, and my husband didn't like it either because he's like, Hey, if you want to do paper service, he's like a savvy business dude. Right. So he's like, if you want to do paper service, that's fine. But why are you spending two hours looking up rep for this kid? Mm. They're not paying you for that. And I'm like, ew, gross. Don't tell me anything about my business. You fancy man. So, um, he was very loving and gentle. And he's like, I have this book I'd like you to read my love. And he gave me breaking the time barrier by mm. Mike McDermott, fresh books guy. Mm-hmm. And which was my introduction to value-based pricing. And I will tell you, it blew my mind in all the good ways. And I said, Oh my goodness, if I can figure out how to apply this to my business, this is going to be a game changer because this is what I do. This is how I love to serve clients. And I did the scariest thing in the world. Um, I, I was able to use my the birth of my first child as a way to kind of exit out of my old model. Also, because he had some health issues, everything's fine. Don't worry. But it was like it was a longer break from teaching than I had mm-hmm. planned on taking. So when it was time to come back, I had those clients that were tried and true to me anyway. And I was able to sit them down. I remember it. I made special appointments, each one of them. And I basically said, I'm going to double what you pay me and triple the service you get. Ooh, that's nice. And they all, there was only one who was like, finally, Michelle. And it's interesting because the one who was like, finally is is a mom. I won't say her name or anything out of, you know, privacy, but she is a psychiatrist. She's a psychiatrist for children. And she Mm -hmm. owned her own practice. So she like very much got like, I know what you do. I understand the importance and was like, finally, take my money, you know? Um, And she's the one who, you know, interestingly enough, she's the one who wrote me a check that was double my rate, like a month earlier. She was like, this is your new rate. And I was like... (laughs) And let me just tell you all the panic attacks and money issues I had with that, right? So um, anyway, I sat everybody down and I said, we're doing value-based pricing. And I put everyone on a retainer model. And I cut the studio. I said, I'm not going to buy into this myth or this lie that the more students you have means the better teacher you are. I think that's bullshit. Mm. You're allowed to say that. That's fine. Okay. Thanks. I'm so glad I'm allowed to be me here. Um, (laughs) So I just, I was, there were just so many myths that I was like, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to be the person that kind of flips off this model because it's not working. It's not working for the teachers. It's not working for the students. It's not working for me. I'm done. And I was also um, like working with a lot of youth theaters and stuff like this. And it just didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense to do a paper service model anymore because the client did, it didn't serve the client. And um, I was the only one in town and everyone was like, that did this. And everyone gave me side eye, all my colleagues, even my friends, my friends were like, are you sure that's going to work? That's not going to work. I don't think that's going to work. And I was like, well, I'm making twice as much as you are and working half as much. So maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
Actually, let me pause you there. You've mentioned value-based pricing a couple of times, and that could be a new phrase for some folks who are listening. So I thought maybe you could explain from your perspective, what does value-based pricing mean? Sure. So when I explain it to my current voice teacher clients, I say it's no longer trading time for money, that we are now selling results and goals and processes instead of time. Perfect. Yeah. And okay, so let's just stay there just a little bit longer. Yeah. You mentioned selling process, um, but you also sell, mentioned selling results. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the places where people get really tripped up. And I imagine it's a place you could easily get tripped up around in voice teaching as mm-hmm. well. When you are presenting your pricing to a potential student, um, or when you're when you're talking to the the teachers that you are training now mm-hmm. as well, how do you frame up what people are actually paying for? That's great. So there's two different ways depending on my client. My voice people, it all starts with a very intentional intake process. It starts with an intentional intake process on the the teacher too, but I'll just talk about the voice students. And it's really digging out where they feel that they are not successful and then helping them determine the things that they have control over in their success and the things they don't have control over in their success in order to create common ground on results. So if I may give an example, yeah. uh, a student might come or and say, well, I want to get the lead in the school musical. And I'll say, okay, great. You're that we can no one can ever guarantee you that that is not a result that that would be ethical for me to sell you. It's not a result that any other person it would be ethical because there's too many factors that are outside of your control. However, what I can guarantee you is that we will you will feel the confidence that you need to feel. You will know exactly how to behave in the audition room. You will know what to say. You will know how to slate. That's like their intro. Your resume will be in tip top shape. Your book will be easy to read and example everything that you do well. Like these are the things that are in our control. And those are the results that I can guarantee. Mm. And helping them, you know, to me, that's also kind of a mentorship thing helping them to figure out what can I control and what can I not control is part of the training. Yeah. Because especially in any sort of performing or any sort of art making, there's always going to be subjective bias against what someone likes or doesn't like. There's going to be a level of like kind of nepotism and networking mojo. And um, there's going to be just a level of you just don't, look right. I mean, and that's awful. It's still real. And I think we're, you know, the industry is taking steps to change that. But, you know, at some point you can be perfect for the role, but if you don't look like what the director has in their Mm -hmm. mind as, as what that needs to look like in order to tell the story, the director's trying to tell, doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to get cast (laughs) because they're in New York, at least there's, you know, 20 other people who are equally good, but will look the part. (laughs) So that's kind of a, but it's true. Yeah. So how has the service that you offer then evolved or the packaging that you put on that Mm -hmm. service evolved since you first went out and said, I'm doing value-based pricing. This is what you're paying for now. 
Yeah. What, how does that, how has that container changed? That's great. So at first I was, because I was only teaching voice, I had a lot of time to be hyper customizable, right? So every person would come in, we would have a hour and a half long session. They would fill out, we would fill out a form together and I did not do anything fancy. It was literally like, come in and let's talk for 45 minutes and then let's sing for 45 minutes so we can see if we work well together on that, that end as well, or speak together. And um, then I would go back and I would create three tiers of packages, top, middle, bottom, that all addressed basically like this, the sky is the limit kind of, this is what we could do together. And then the middle package was usually, this is what you said you wanted and then the bottom package was basically like just lessons, right? With, mm-hmm. with some extra support. And I intentionally wanted to sell the middle package because that's mm-hmm. what, that was the sweet spot for both my revenue goals and for uh, my time, like how I could manage people's time and my time to serve the most, you know, the right balance or whatever. Uh, and I didn't have anyone ever buy the bottom package oh, nice. because, and, and I think that's because, you know, I was savvy about pricing, you know, and movie, movie theater, popcorn and all that. Um, and then I think it was also because I was able to so clearly point out, this is what's going to happen in your lesson. This is kind of the mm-hmm. process we're going to take in your lessons. And then these are all the things that are happening outside of your lesson that you're investing in. And so they were able to see really clearly what they were getting before they made a purchase choice. So this would be like after they paid me for the initial fit and before we started a contract. Um, and I do similar now. I'm just way more streamlined about it. And I, and I also have a tuition-based um, pricing model now as well as a value-based pricing model. Uh, and then depending on kind of the, the family fit or the, the fit of the client, I, I can determine this is what I think would actually work best from everything I've learned about you. And I ask different questions now too, like all those questions before were very much just about voice and performance goals. And now, um, I actively incorporate kind of my mentorship and my skills around um, brand development for them. And, you know, I'm just more, I just offer more now so I can ask better questions. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about communicating? You said that you, you, you included sort of in the proposal, the things that were happening outside of the studio, Mm -hmm. outside of the lessons. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so smart in terms of communicating really what people are buying here. Um, And it's something I think probably a lot of people are not doing. And then they don't understand why their pricing doesn't work, why people Mm -hmm. aren't buying, why why is this taking so much longer than I thought it was going to take, right? Yeah. Um, Can you say a little bit more about the kinds of things that are included in your package that don't actually happen in the lesson itself. Sure. I love this part. So 
uh, all materials. So depending on the package, I'll give you my middle package, right? Sounds so good. middle package would be all the materials. So I buy the music. If I want you to read a book because I think it's important for your development, I'm going to buy it for you and have it sent to you. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want you to have a coaching with like addiction coach or an acting coach, cause I have a network of coaches that I refer out to. I like, I say I'm the mothership, but I'm very collaborative in my teaching. So if there's a specific thing that I'm like, I'm not getting through to you on this. I need you to go and talk to this coach. Um, that'll be a shared investment rather than like on my top package, it's my investment hundred percent. I just pay for it. But in the middle package, it's a shared investment, competition fees, doing mm. the work to register them for competitions, um, any rep development, picking out monologues, uh, looking over resumes, uh, flexible scheduling, Rather than you within my tuition package, it's you, you use it or lose it, basically. Got it. Um, and then my drop-ins are you book it if you don't show up, new time, new fee kind of thing. But um, what else would be in that middle package? Oh, recordings when, you know, tech available. So when we were, you know, pre-COVID, when we were in person, I would record everything and then send it to them. Now I just record the Zoom session or whatever we're using to you know, whatever tech we're using for that session. Um, What else would be in there? Oh, I have parameters around like communication. So 24 hour response time, when you text or email a pressing question, um, complimentary callback lessons. So if someone doesn't, you know, we get ready for an audition, they get called back, and then they need help with like, whatever that callback is going to be for. So I don't really outline this specific administrative task, like, All of the time I'm spending emailing you back and forth, but I tried to like, (laughs) but I do try to kind of cover that with a sentence of like 24 hour response time when you have something that you need or something like that. Uh, Does that answer the question? Yes. And, you know, I don't know how many other voice teachers are, are listening to the podcast, but I think that even if you're not in your industry, it's really mm-hmm. helpful to hear how it's clear that you're thinking about the success of your student and Thanks. all of the pieces that go into that success that are not just the vocal lessons um, and mm-hmm. making sure that they understand there's more to this than just, you know, the hour that we spend together every week or every couple of weeks. Um, and that is going to make them feel better about the investment, too. It's not just that they're buying extra stuff, right? It's that they feel more confident that you can help them get the result that they want, which goes back to that value-based pricing thing, which is brilliant. Um, okay, so you gave me our, our next segue, which is that Uh, you talked about doing voice lessons over Zoom. Um, And Mm -hmm. I know that this is one of the places where you've been kind of a pioneer in the industry where you have said, yes, we can teach voice online. How did you figure that out? How did you make that transition? And and how has that impacted the way you package what you do? Oh, that's a great question. So I would like to, I believe in attribution always. So I want to say I was definitely not the first person on the onboard lessons train. Um, and there are people who have been doing it even longer than I have. Uh, so, and of course, I can't remember any of their names right now because we're in the <laughs> middle of a conversation. So, so much for attribution. Um, okay. But I just wanted to be clear, like, I was not the first person to think of this in any way, shape or form. So I actually started because I moved Mm. and I got to tell you, I, I was a slow adopter. So 
I moved from Silicon Valley to the Sacramento area in California. And my clients wanted to still take lessons. And I was being a yo-yo and I was like, well, then you can drive to me, toss, toss, obnoxious. And I remember one of my students was like, well, why don't we just like try it on face? You know, I don't know if it was FaceTime or whatever. Why don't we just try it online? And I was like, that's not going to work. You can't teach a voice lesson online. That's stupid. But, you know, the coffers started to get low. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe I should try this. <laughs> so, um, so I did, and it was a horrible failure. It was awful. It was miserable. And what I learned was that I had to really change my pedagogy. I mm. had to become a different teacher and that everything that I was taught about how and self-taught even on how to teach was based on an in-person experience, which was very interesting to kind of discover all of the biases we had toward our ears. And this like, I have to hear, I have to be able to play the piano with my, with my student, I have to be able. And so I kind of broke down all my have tos, like my internal, what am I saying? I have to. And that, and then, then I kind of one by one learned more about each one of those things and challenged myself to come up with a different pedagogy, which is like art of teaching. If that, if that term is not familiar to anyone. And so I changed how I taught and I changed what I looked for and I changed the language that I used and I changed, I learned more about the human body. I learned more about, um, the oral perception of the person of the individual using their voice rather than my oral oral as an ears perception of what they were doing. I learned how to let go and not be so snotty in my teaching. That's awesome. Because it was, it was all about me, right? What I hear, what I think is good, what I think is right, which I think that's important, you know, to some level, but it, man, you want to talk about making it student centered Going online completely changed the way I view voices and humans and students. And I would not give that up for the world. It's made me a better in-person teacher as well. Wow. Can you, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'm, I'm personally very curious about this shift from teacher-centered to student-centered and what the experience of that must be like. So are you saying you said you were very focused on what you heard and now you're very mm-hmm. focused on the student. Is it what the student is feeling, hearing for themselves that you are trying to teach them to a different level of awareness? Yes. All of the okay. above. Yeah. So a lot of questions, a lot of what mm. does that feel like? What are you experiencing? And then if I, if I notice an adjustment needs to be made, whether I notice it with my eyes or I notice it with my ears, then I can ask them to force a fail, right? Like, okay, do it the do it the way you were doing it before. Now make this adjustment. And then what do, what do you experience? Oh, that feels more open. That feels more relaxed. That feels more, that feels easier. Okay, great. So which would you prefer to sing with for a long period of time? Oh, I would prefer to sing with this easy thing. Great. So that's an adjustment that we will make from here on out. What would you like to be your trigger word for that adjustment? Mm. So that... Or, and sometimes hand signals, like, what can I do with my hands that will show you 
you're kind of erring on that other neurological coordination and that we need to get you to this neurological coordination back. So it's really putting the power into the singer and or the speaker, because I work a lot with speakers as well, and kind of working myself out of, out of a job on purpose, like even more so, like how fast can I work myself out of a job where before it was all about like retention, 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 because the model was based on the, the model was based on not getting people to leave, mm-hmm. which I think is good for young kids, right? Like you want some consistency there, but for grown people, that's fascinating. I mean, you got me talking about voice teaching. We could go on all day. I know, which which I am aware of. And I'm thinking, all right, Tara. Move on. on. But I seriously, I could, again, both from like a business standpoint, but also from the performance standpoint, we were Mm -hmm. talking before we hit the record button that um, we both come from performance backgrounds. They're different performance backgrounds, but there's so much of like, yeah, there's, even just the fact that you use the word aural and there are so very few people <laughs> who know that word. Yeah. <laughs> the only C I have ever gotten in my life was in aural theory, by the way. I'm it's- so sorry. Oh my God, that class. Anyhow. We'll hear what happened when Michelle started to teach other voice teachers what she learned in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, unless this is your very first time listening to What Works, you've heard me talk about Mighty Networks before. You already know they are the easiest way to bring your content, community, and commerce all together under the same digital roof. But what I want to share today is a little more personal. Since we're on the subject of creating value and refining your offer, I have to tell you that Mighty Networks is the most responsive company I have ever worked with. They are hungry to know how to serve their customers better and make their offer better at the same time. They are regularly talking to their own community called Mighty Hosts about the features they need to succeed, the challenges they run into building out their own networks, and the opportunities they see for growth. Mighty Networks is constantly evolving and refining to meet the needs of their customers and building a better product while they do it. Now, if you're wondering if Mighty Networks might just be growing into the perfect solution for bringing your customers or clients together, check it out for yourself. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started for free. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by the What Works Network. You have a bold vision for your small business. You can see it all grown up with efficient systems, effective offers, and a sustainable business model that pays you well. And the gap between where you're at and that bold vision, well, that can feel daunting. At times, you feel like you're spinning your wheels. You work in fits and starts on building that bold vision for your business. But as time passes, you realize you haven't made much progress at all. You're hard at work day in and day out, and you're largely doing the same things, getting the same results. It's really tempting to think that the key to picking up the pace is a magic formula or a shiny object, but you know better. You know the key to growing through this phase and into the next is consistent action and uncompromising commitment to making your business stronger every single day. So what's stopping you? Well, it's probably a lack of focus, a lack of structure, and a lack of support. And the What Works Network 
can help with all three. Each month, we focus on a different aspect of building a stronger business, just like we do here on the podcast. This month, it's creating value. Next month, it's making the sale. In October, we're focused on speaking up and honing our communication. We layer a solid structure onto that focus by giving you an action planning kit you can use each month to commit to a project, process, or principle to apply to your business. And then we check in with you throughout the month in weekly and monthly events to help you make progress and get unstuck. And of course, we're here to support you with on-demand, go-at-your-own-pace community support on our dedicated platform. Focus, structure, and support, all to help you take consistent action toward the bold vision you have for your business. We're opening the doors to the What Works Network soon. And when we do, it will be the last chance to grab our current pricing of $499 for the year or 12 payments of $49. When we open the doors in September, the price will double to $999 for the year. Get your invitation to the What Works Network by going to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. Okay, so I want to talk about, I, I want to make the shift to talking not just about um, your voice teaching, but now teaching voice teachers. What gave you, what what flipped that switch that you were like, oh, oh there's something here now that I need to share with other people? I will 100% tell you. So when I made the shift, when I was in Silicon Valley, I, my friends that were voice teachers, I'd be like, Hey, why don't you try this? Or, Hey, you should totally raise your rates. Like it's not fair. You should not be making that much. We live in Silicon Valley. This is, you know, it was kind of basically me just under the radar telling people what to do (laughs) and give well, just giving them information, right? Like I see your value. I see your worth. I see the results that your students are getting. They're getting into top 10. I remember this one really good friend of mine, like uber successful students because of the work that she had done with them. And she was not charging something that made her feel like her life was comfortable in Silicon Valley. And when I say comfortable, I mean, like, could afford shoes for her kids, right? Like, it's not like we're talking seven figure businesses here. Um, And I saw that there was just there's such in I mean, as a performer, I think you you may relate to this. There is such a myth. It is it's so deeply ingrained the scarcity mindset and the permission based mindset that leads to this. Like, I know this is a really strong word, but like this very victimy, martyry, starving artist myth that I just want to throw a pen at because I, oh my goodness, we could. That's a whole other podcast, but it's a whole other. Um, but I saw, I saw this like stealing success from my friends. And I was like, well, if I have these tools and then I got real nerdy about it, cause a lot of my, I mean, Silicon Valley, right? So I had parents who worked at Netflix and parents that worked at PayPal and parents that worked at Apple. And, um, cause my ideal client then was, uh, teenagers that wanted to get into top 20 musical theater and theater programs. Right. So those, you know, very specific niche, uh, of a client and they would just talk to me about business and share their stories and, Oh, we're going to do this marketing thing. And I was like, I want to know all of the things. And then my husband was getting a degree. This is going to make sense in a minute. I know I'm bunny trailing, but my husband was getting a degree 
uh, MBA. And so I got to go to like all of the lectures and stuff with like nice. Gary Vaynerchuk and like, uh, yeah, just a ton of very cool people watching them. And I'm like, I would just help my friends. So I knew at some point I was like, I'm going to start a subscription service, but I thought it was going to be for college age musical theater girls because I was already doing mentorship with that group and I wanted to specify it to, to women, um, just helping them not be jerks to one another and to create a network and to kind of see the benefit of collaboration and you make your own way and all of that. And I would go and I had done a couple speaking engagements at these national conferences or regional conferences. And I would be doing this on singing, right? The conference topic would be on singing. And the only people that came up to me afterwards, Tara, were people who had read in the last line of my bio owns a successful voice studio, independent voice studio in Silicon Valley. And so all these teachers would come up to me and literally did not ask me about my awesome pedagogy. <laughs> they'd be like, how are you successful in this bit? Like, how, what does that mean? Tell me all of those things. And I remember the moment I was standing there at this regional conference. There were like eight women, 10 women, just we were all in a circle and they were all independent teachers and they just kept, well, what do you do for marketing? Well, what do you do for this? Well, what do you do for that? And I, and it was like lightning hit my brain. I was like, oh my God, I'm supposed to do this for teachers, not for singers. And it freaked me out. I totally had imposter syndrome. Who am I? Who mm. am I to be teaching other teachers? Who am I to be leading these people? I have no business doing this. I don't have a degree. I have my MBA by proxy through my husband. I have a bunch of self-study that I've done. I've had a bunch of coaching that I've done. Oh, wait. It sounds just like I got myself ready to be an amazing voice teacher. Hmm. Hmm. What about that? So I went home. And I said, I wonder what this could be. And I thought about it and I didn't look up any advice. <laughs> like a stupid nice. fool. I did no. not read anything. No, I didn't read anything on it. I didn't look up what it was like because honestly, Tara, I thought it would be like me and 10 of my friends. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be like me and 20 people shooting the shit and just talking about. And then I would just offer them some business advice that I had learned and that I cared about. Right. And then it turned into a thing. So when it turned into a thing, <laughs> that's when I was like, oh, crap, I better figure this out. And that's when I, I really got serious just about my own education and my own coaching skills and my own business skills and, um, and then validating the skills I already had, right? Because isn't that part of the process mm -hmm. too? It's like, oh, I do know oh, all yeah. of this. Now I have other people telling me I know what I'm talking about. Great. And then just building kind of one-on-one -on -one clientele so that I would be really good at it, you know? Yeah. And now we're at 170 members. That's amazing. What did the very first offer look like that was geared to voice teachers? It was a mess. That's fine. So <laughs> tell us what it looks like. <laughs> okay. Yes, I know. So it's always been the Speakeasy Cooperative, which is my subscription membership group. Um, and the first time I went out, it was literally a PayPal button on a really crappy website that was made by my husband <laughs> 10 years ago that I figured out how to get a PayPal button on to this website. It was a big deal back then. It was, it, well, it was only three years ago. Oh, I thought you said 10 years ago. No, no, no. Well, that was when I decided to be 
that's when I decided to open the voice studio and like make gotcha. the voice okay. studio. Three I think. So three Got years it. ago is when Speakeasy in tw- March of 2017. So um, it was a PayPal button done is better than perfect. And then I had three levels. So okay. I had like just be in the Speakeasy. And then I had be in the Speakeasy and have a half hour coaching with me and once a month and then be in the Speakeasy and have, oh, you're going to die when I say this. I have a 90 minute coaching with me a month because of course, Tara, nobody's going to buy this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so no one's going to buy that. Why would anybody need that? Um, and this, this is a lesson in doing your market research, friends. I had no idea how I just, I really was very ignorant about how needed this was. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure, to be honest, if I had known if I would have done it. Oh, You know, like if someone told me, hey, in three years, you're going to own this level of business. You're going to have people working for you. You're going to be speaking at national conferences. You're going to be on the What Works podcast. <gasps> With you know, like if you would, I would have been like, nope, no, thanks. I don't want to do that. That sounds hard. So, yeah. um, so it was that three levels, the two levels that were to be with me sold out like in two months, totally unsustainable. So within six months or maybe a year, I had to change the 90 minute to a 60 minute and then Within a year after that, I can't remember the exact date, but within a year after that, I had to get rid of all the levels. I was like, I can't do this. And so um, we made one membership. And then if now if people want to have coaching with me or my two coaches that work with me there, they can pay a reduced rate from my outside of speakeasy rate to have one-on-one coaching in kind of a laser fashion. So specific things that they need to process through in a certain amount of time. Um, And that shift was really hard for my charter members. Like a lot of my charter members were like, that's not what I signed up for. And I was like, I know it's totally not. And if you want to go, that's okay. But I don't want you to go. But I understand, you know, so many feelings, so many feelings. What are the benefits of membership? Like what do they get on a monthly basis? I'm so glad you asked. So, um, (laughs) It's actually, this is one of the reasons that drew me to you, Tara, because when I saw what you offered, I was like, that's what I do. I have someone who understands what I do. So it's really about the community. Like, Mm -hmm. and I know it's so hard to like sell community, but I, that's what is my core value is collaboration and community. So that's what I got to sell because that's my core value. And then slowly but surely it became a lot of tangibles. So now we um, have a Facebook group that we use and we call it our lobby. It's like where we have parties and hang out. And then we have a Slack workspace that I do invest in, a paid Slack workspace Mm. where all the deep stuff goes on. We have three continuing education opportunities a month. So we call it the virtual cocktail party and the virtual champagne brunch. And that's an hour of education. Then we turn off, we record those and make them available on the back end of my website. And then, um, you know, in the members area. And then um, we just turn off the recording and talk, talk about it. What happened? What, what came up mm. for you? Da, 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 processing through. And then, um, then we have a Tuesday training, which is kind of what I do. Like that's my business training. So I do a Tuesday training, second Tuesday of the month. Then I also offer a group coaching opportunity once a month for both multi-teacher studio owners and individual business owners. So 
I should clarify right now we're grown to the point where now it's voice related businesses. So it's not just kind of mm-hmm. your independent teacher, but it's also people who are creating for other teachers, people who are SLPs, people who anyone who works with the voice makes their money working with the voice. Um, it's, it's expanded kind of the niche a little bit outside of just independent voice teachers. Uh, but they all started with voice things. Uh, and then what else? I mean, there's so much we do, you know, volunteers run a book club. If they want to do a book club, volunteers run what we call work chat. So that's like if one of one of the people in like the network, right? So it says, hey, mm-hmm. I know a bunch of stuff about this. Who wants to hop on Zoom with me? We have a for voice teachers. This will be sexy. We do a thing called open studio where um, any voice teacher can be invited to Zoom into another teacher's voice lesson and just like give feedback and what's working and what's not. That's really high value for us voice yeah. teachers to kind of collaborate around other students. Students, um, members like to offer special deals to other members, you know, like if they have a workshop or a project they're doing, they can be like, Hey, who wants in? You can get a special price for it because you're also a speakeasy member. There's so much Tara. It just, it, it's actually, <laughs> I shouldn't say this in public. It's almost too much to right. keep track of. <laughs> Lots I of feel spinning that. plates. Lots of spinning plates. So much. It's stupid the amount of it's stupid the amount of value that is in this group. And I constantly I, I constantly am amazed at the level of the community members because of the culture that we've worked so hard to create, which I know you appreciate on another level of me yeah. just saying that. So Yeah, absolutely. Um what do you see as being the next step for how you deliver your work and how you create value? So that's a great question because I'm in the middle of determining that right now. Mm. So right now, Speakeasy is kind of the container where I where it's about the community. And then I have like this 10-week program that's really about information and application. Mm-hmm. That just got turned into a self-guided course. So there's now... Um, that I got licensed to do the content and the be the face of. So that's now an option for teachers out there if they're not ready to kind of make a, a more substantial investment in the live um, program. And then I have a like a top tier mastermind. And so these are the these are the different containers that I really like. I really love what they're doing, but I am in the middle of deciding what is next and how can I how can I more effectively serve the amount of people that need serving while also maintaining my boundaries, my sanity, and staying firmly in my zone of genius? Um, because as all entrepreneurs know, I think it is so easy to get sucked into those zones of competence and zones of incompetence where we're just like doing the things we're not very good at and we don't like doing and it steals away the time. So I'm, you know, from doing the thing that people are actually paying you for. <laughs> so that's a, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but it's really like, I don't know what's next quite yet. Yeah. Well, I love that you shared the question that you're asking yourself, because I think it's a great way to ask the question. And I think the question itself um, can be so instructive to people. Um, so we are running out of time and I could talk to you about this Absolutely all day long. Um, But I do want to ask one more question, which is just, what are you excited about right now? 
Oh my gosh. I am excited. I mean, there's so many things. What can I pick? I am excited that my field is now kind of having an aha moment and a big wake up around decolonizing music. Mm -hmm. I am excited that that's a real conversation that we're having all the way from academia to independent studio ownership. I'm excited that my, my group and, and, my that I get to be part of that story while amplifying what really has, you know, because I've been trying, I've been trying to amplify this for a long time. And it's been a lot of like, la 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 fingers in the ears. And so I'm like, great, we're ready to talk about it. Let's talk about it. And so I'm super, I'm, that's what I think I'm the most excited about. Because that's going to change a lot of lives. And it's going to bring a lot of knowledge to the populace, even beyond our field because performing tells stories and those stories need to be told. And now that we're really seeing what the story is, it's going to bring a whole other level of unity. It's going to bring a whole other level of um, challenge and wrestling with truthfulness. And I really like that. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm excited about that too. Michelle, thank you so much for sharing the behind the scenes of your evolution of voice teaching and teaching voice teachers and how you have been creating value through it all. Thank you so much. Thank you for, thanks for caring. (laughs) Absolutely. If something feels off in your business, the solution probably involves less work than you think. You likely don't need to dream up a whole new product, re-envision your brand, or invest in some shiny new marketing object. The solution, very likely, could be refining the offer you're already making. I've seen it happen time and time again. For some, it's turning a one-on-one offer into a group program. For others, it's taking an online course and offering a done-for-you version. For some, it's doubling their prices while keeping everything else the same. And for others, it's bundling a few offers together into a comprehensive system for delivering value and exceptional customer experiences. Michelle's story shows us that making your business work for you can be a matter of refining what you offer into a package that delivers for both you and your customer. Find out more about Michelle Markwart DeVoe at faithculturekiss.com. Then tune in for our final bonus episode on how I've been refining my core business support offer for almost a decade now. I'll tie it all together from my very humble beginnings as a website designer to a business coach, to a strategist and educator, to the leader of the What Works Network. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistant is Kristen Runbeck. Get more of What Works delivered to your inbox every Thursday. I share a letter on building a stronger business and becoming a stronger leader, as well as hand-picked resources to help you grow in our free weekly newsletter. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash weekly to sign up.